Well, let's talk about the big, big, big Merrill news coming out this week. We buried the lead a little bit, but there's giant Merrill news. Why don't, why don't you go for it? Oh, my gosh. I was so excited when I um, opened New York Magazine to find this headline. Meryl Streep is going to be in season two of Big Little Lies. And if you haven't seen season one, you need to actually take the day off work and stop whatever you're doing and go marathon watch season one of Big Little Lies because it is phenomenal. It's really good. I, we talked about it in another episode. Um, I also, you know, it, you don't have to have HBO to get this one. It's out on DVD. And in fact, I think you can red box it, actually. So there's there's pretty much no excuse for not seeing this at this point. This movie or this miniseries has just won every award possible over the last couple of yeah. months. It's just taken everything by storm. So, um you know, I it hadn't occurred to me that Meryl might join season two, but it makes total sense. You know, this is a movie that's like right up her alley. It's, you know, female empowered. It's it's great roles for women. It's, you know, it just makes total sense that she would want to be a part of this. And I love that her character's name is Mary Louise, because that's actually Meryl Streep's given right. name. Right. Play so uh, the, the yeah, mother. mother. Yeah, yeah. So, What's his character's name? I don't. I don't remember off the top of my head. He. Uh, he was. Either. He was the asshole. Was right there, and then I lost it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. He was the abuser. Yeah. He was the one who was always punching somebody, and. Uh, yep. So. Brilliantly. Yeah, and he's won a lot of awards as well. That's that's hard to do. Um, when you're playing yeah. such a despicable character. So it'll be interesting to see how much he's in season two because I think he is signed on for season two. Um, and I don't want to give anything right. away about it, but it will be interesting to see how he's brought back into season two. I'm thinking flashbacks. Probably. I yeah. mean, I doubt David E. Kelly is going to rewrite an alternate reality where his character somehow manages to survive. And, <laughs> I mean, it's like superhero territory. And I, I hope it, I hope it, do, I hope he doesn't go that route. I think that would be awful to do that. So I hope they I don't, don't do that. I don't think would. Um, so, well, that's the big Merrill news. I wonder if, because they're starting to shoot that in the spring. Um, so it's another question of, you know, like what, uh, you know, how big Merrill's role is. But, um, you know, it could be like a one episode thing. It could be the whole time. It's hard to tell. She could be out for revenge. You know, I mean, uh, that's kind of my hope, actually, is that it really is that that it's a really significant role and that she kind of because she's the mother of somebody who is pretty evil. Um, mm-hmm. I'm kind of secretly hoping for villain Meryl because she hasn't done that very much, but she's really good at it. Um, no, you know what else I'm really looking forward to is I just enjoy seeing Meryl Streep not in period clothes. It yeah. doesn't happen very often. You would think it, but she's always—I mean, she always does sort of these heightened characters or historical figures, and and um, you know, it's it's just kind of cool to see her in action without all that. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, it's going to be, assume, well, I guess this, I guess they've said it won't come out this year. It'll come out next year. Um, we've been talking about this. This has the makings of a big Merrill year because we've got this, we've got Mamma Mia 2, um, and, yep. and Mary Poppins, the, the sequel to that. Uh, oh, yeah. So it's, it's going to be a big Merrill year and she'll be filming this for next year. So maybe she doesn't 
I, you know, she could, again, maybe it's one episode and she's not in very much, but, um, so maybe there's not a movie being filmed for a little while. It's hard to tell. I also kind of wonder how much this affects, you know, she was supposed to do a, a mini series of her own called the Knicks. Um, I think that oh, was yeah. announced like right when you and I did our first episode a year ago and like nothing has happened since then. So, um, hmm. it's kind of curious to see that was, that's a big JJ Abrams thing based on a kind of best-selling book. Um, so it's curious to see how, and if that will change things, if that's maybe not if that's yeah. being pushed back or, or not being pushed back. But, um, anyway, who knows what the next year will bring, but it's, uh, I, I think it's great. I really do think it's great that she's going to be a part of this. Um, yeah, me too. I'm so excited. Oh, my gosh. I just hope it's not a sophomore And Twitter slump. was super excited as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, All right. We better get to it. So we are here today. Yep. Believe it or not, folks, we are Here's here today. Here's we're really here, folks. <laughs> an hour in. We are here to talk about The Post Um and the movie that has came come out two weeks ago, star, uh, starring Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks, and an incredible cast, directed by Steven Spielberg. Meryl, do you want to give us the rundown of the plot summary on this movie? Sure. The Post is about um, Catherine, Catherine Graham, correct? Yep. Yeah. I was like, Martha Graham. Nope, that's a dancer. Um, Catherine Graham, who um, owns the Washington Post, at the time that the newspaper went public and on the cusp of going public, they also encountered, um, you know, probably one of its biggest news stories in history that the U.S. government had lied about um, its involvement in the Vietnam War going on for decades and actually got access to a report done by the government that was highly classified um, that addressed um, this very serious issues with Vietnam and the U.S.'s continued involvement and whether or not to publish that. And it takes the Washington Post all the way to uh, the Supreme Court to decide whether or not they had a right to publish those things. Right. So it's like ha- it's sort of half biopic, half like journalistic thriller in the style of like Spotlight. Yeah. Or um, All the President's Men. Right. Um, so I, I would call it sort of a hybrid yeah, it's getting a lot of comparisons to all the president's men for a lot of reasons. One, I mean, this story, for for one, <laughs> Tom Hanks pay, plays Ben Bradley, who was played by Jason Robards in All the President's Men. Um, right. Also, I didn't pick up on this the first time. Did you feel like the last scene of the movie was a little strange? Because they go into the Watergate thing. Do you remember this, that... The last scene of, of the post. It almost felt like a setup for a sequel. Do you know why that is? Because the last scene did of... They, did they intend it to be like a prequel for All the President's Men? Yes. The last scene of this movie uh-huh. is the same as the first scene of All the President's Men. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't, think they're, I don't think they're literally saying this is a prequel, of course, but that's kind of the idea right. is that it, one of these led into the other, basically. Um that's amazing. Yeah. I didn't realize that the first time that I saw it. And I remember thinking, wow, that was kind of a funny, like, wh- I, why was that set up? And it, it occurred to me because then I watched All the President's Men again. All the President's Men is one of those movies that actually I love that movie. And I watch that movie quite mm-hmm. frequently. Um, so uh, I, I watched it in between the two times that I saw it. So that helped a lot too, of course. But um, 
it's it's that idea of like yeah it's it's setting up this this kind of nod to all the president's men for sure and and kind of what came after it but um the i don't know what was what was your impression of this movie i've kind of already tipped my hand as to how i felt about it how did you feel about it i i mean i really really loved it i had um i i had a very visceral visceral reaction to it i haven't seen it i haven't seen it twice i just saw it once um i will tell you that that being an attorney um in a man's world i've experienced some of the things that uh, she experienced is very, it was actually surprisingly difficult for me to watch and I cried a lot. <laughs> um, so it, it was very moving for me, for her to take action and be her own woman and inspiring for me, especially with everything that's going on right now. Yeah. And it just, it just hit really, it just hit really close to home. I, I struggled with it. Um, I thought it was a beautiful film. There has been some criticism of it that it can't decide if it's a biopic of Fasten Graham or sort of a journalistic thriller. And I didn't see those issues. I didn't um, either. There was just, there was one spot in the film that I felt was a little heavy handed. But other than that, I thought it was, I thought it was well balanced and well done. Where was that one spot? Of, those issues with it. Where was that one spot? So, sir. Sarah Paulson gives uh, basically a monologue about Catherine Graham's history. And she's explaining to her husband, Tom Hanks, um, where Catherine Graham was coming from and that it was actually really difficult for her to make the decision to publish. And it wasn't so much that the speech happened, it was the content of the speech. It just felt like it was too heavy-handed that they didn't trust the audience. We already knew. Mm. And um, I think there was a way of communicating it to Tom Hanks' character that wasn't quite so in your face. Here, let me explain to you the entire point of the movie. <laughs> can I um, can I say something that might be deemed controversial? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I so I I actually I I acknowledged that moment the first time that I saw it because that when that moment happened, it occurred to me that like basically because this movie has this gigantic cast. It felt to me like basically every character was given that moment. There are actually quite a few different yes. characters that get these I like monologues. I feel like monologues. it was in there to give Sarah Paulson something to do. Yes, yes, I agree with that. Now, the other part of me is feeling like actually for me, that was one of the most moving moments of the film. And actually the reason that I, I wonder about that moment is I recognize how you feel about that. And I bet a lot of women feel that way about the movie. I bet a lot of men, a lot of us, we needed that explained to us. And it's not because we're stupid. That's interesting. It's not because we're stupid. And it's not because we no. don't want to see. But, you know, it's that idea of, like, sometimes you're oblivious to something until somebody that you love so much explains to you, like, puts it to you in a way that they'll know yeah. you will understand. Um how hard it is and how you maybe haven't acknowledged this or you haven't seen it through somebody's perspective. I, I loved that moment. I, I really was like, and Interesting. I don't know for me, that moment really worked. And I kind of, that was maybe for the men in the room, quite honestly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, that sheds, that's interesting. That sheds an entirely different light on it for me. Yeah. Because I didn't, I didn't look at it that way. You're right. I already, I already knew, 
<laughs> I didn't need to be told. So that was really that's really interesting, Zach. Well, yeah, because you're you explained kind of a light bulb moment for me. Yeah. Well, you explained like you've been that woman, like you've been that woman in the room, and and so no, you don't need somebody else to explain to you what it's like. Of course, you don't. You've you've lived it, but for those of us who haven't lived it. We probably do need that explained to us at least once. You yeah. Know? Um, so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I the, the the language of that that speech was kind of interesting. I was so glad they gave Sarah Paulson something to do. I was concerned because she's yeah. so good, and up until that moment, she was being completely wasted. So I was really happy that yeah. they did give her something to do. Um, well, I also feel like it was an interesting. It was an interesting setup because I love Tom Hanks. Sarah Paulson is too young to be playing his wife. That did occur to me did, too. Yeah. They did, and but they had a young daughter, so Sarah Paulson was about the right age to have that age daughter. But it was like a weird. It, it was a little bit weird. Yeah. The casting there. Yeah. 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 Um. I don't know this. Um, but I do love her so much. Oh, she's so good. Everybody in this movie is so so good. I mean, top to bottom, no surprise. Carrie Coon. Yeah, Carrie Coon. I was so excited she was in there. I wish she had had more to do. Yeah, yeah. Although her moment at the end, you know, she's the one who gets to read uh, the the Supreme Court decision. It's so good. It it'll just make you weep. It's so good. Um, Bob Odenkirk is really great in this movie. Um, Yes. Tracy Letts, who, by the way... Matthew Reese. Matthew Reese, yeah. Um, Tracy Letts, who, by the way, for those who wouldn't know this, uh, wrote uh, August Osage County. He he played Fritz Beeb in this movie, so he's kind of Meryl's closest advisor in the movie. So they had a lot of, you know, screen time together. And it was, you know, if you know this story that he wrote August Osage County, it's kind of fun. Um yeah. Bradley Whitford plays the bad guy as Bradley Whitford is known to do. Um I shouldn't yep. I shouldn't say bad guy, but the you know, you don't love him. Uh, no. <laughs> Bruce Greenwood, who's reliably good. Allison Bree plays her daughter, Meryl's daughter, Jesse Plemons, David Cross, Zach Woods, Pat Healy. Um there's just so many great, great character actors and actresses throughout this whole movie. It's just Michael Stuhlbarg. Um so just really, really well yeah. done, really, really well done. Um, I I don't know. This movie was. How did you feel about the beginning of this movie? I think one of the things that I've read about in the reviews are that it feels like the first half hour or so is a little bit slow. Did you feel that way? Uh, I didn't. Um, well, I take that back. Okay, so I, I was watching it. I didn't feel like it was slow. I just thought we haven't gotten there yet. Sure. Like the thought crossed my mind. It, it did kind of, it, it was interest. It was interestingly paced, but I didn't get bored. So I hate to say that I felt like it was slow. Cause usually that's an indication that I'm bored and I'm going to check my watch. But the thought did cross my mind that we haven't gotten to the papers yet. Right. Um, and I was interested to see how that would unfold. So I did I did step out of the experience for a moment to question that. So I guess that's not great. Yeah. But the um I think How the, about you? No, I, I, I think I felt that way the first time that I saw it. I definitely didn't the second time. And again, um I think it may just be because it may be because um 
I don't always think I'm very clever about picking up on everything in movies. I, I tend to miss things sometimes. And um, that's one of the reasons that the second time was so important, because I put so many pieces together that I missed the first time, in particular okay. in the first half of the movie. Um, you know, characters that I was going, wait, who was that the first time? Um, it yeah. was It was perfectly clear the second time. And um, so the the movie starts with uh, five minutes of, of actual battle scene from, from Vietnam, which I guess is kind of an interesting choice because um, yeah, to me there was a part of it that was like, okay, is this Spielberg just like demonstrating again that he can do war really well? Like what, what is the purpose of this actually? And I think it does serve a purpose. Um, you know, it gives us some context. It kind of pushes us back into the mind frame. It shows us rather than tells us, you know, about the horrors of war. I get it. But um, I don't know. There was a part of me that was kind of like, well, I don't know if we really needed that. Because, like, there wasn't something specific in the battle that took place that happened. No. That, um, I think it was the, I think it, it evokes, it evokes the feeling of chaos yeah. and um, futility. And um, I think that's what carried through, that you can't really tell people. You have to show it. Yeah. I think that's the that's the only thing, because you're right, it is sort of an outlier, and it was unexpected. Um, and I, um, it's not incredibly clear, I think, and this may have been on purpose, but you know, you know he's at Rand Corporation, but there are top secret documents at Rand, and he has a journal, and he's got a key, and you're like, what? And it gets explained later that, you know, how he had access and, and why and how he got those documents out, but um, it's very, it's very, very unclear if he takes them out, and I think that is the point, but it, so the, the beginning is a little choppy in that respect. You're like, what's happening? You're right. Um, one of the things that I think this film will kind of be remembered for is the fact that it was shot and made so quickly. This movie was basically from, from first day of filming to release was about nine months, um, which is crazy. unprecedented. It's crazy. Absolutely insane. And the reason they were rushing it, it makes total sense because it is so... Uh, it is so relevant, relevant to exactly what's happening today. And so there was this need and this push to like, let's get it out while this subject is at, you know, uh, is on everybody's mind. Um, and yep. I think that's one of the kind of most, to me, amazing things about this movie is it has the feeling of a movie that's being made with passion and like we gotta do this and we've gotta get this you know to me it doesn't feel like a movie that was shortchanged at all it just feels like a movie that was made with purpose and a movie that was made with like we gotta do this yeah and Steven Spielberg you know he works with the same team the same cinematographer the same composer and the same team so they're a well-oiled machine right it doesn't surprise me that they could crank something out in nine months and have it still be you know, so good. Well, and I was reading I mean, that this masters. is right, and I feel like this is um, this is the first movie of his I read that that there were two editors for, and so you kind of it almost feels like um, there was probably one editor who was like you know while the dailies were coming in was like doing cuts you know rough cuts yep. and um, you know then the more fine tune 
edit came later. But they were saying like after after shooting this movie, it was two was it two weeks or two months later that there was a cut of this movie, like a rough cut of this movie, and that is absolutely wow. insane. Yeah, it's insane. So one of the one of the things that that I think this movie kind of focuses on is is this idea of so K. Graham is the publisher of the Washington Post. So her father mm-hmm. owned the company before her, and then it was given to her husband, and her husband committed suicide. And so she, in an era in which you know this movie for the most part takes place in 1971, um, in which a woman was not the publisher of a newspaper. Um, you know, um, was dealing with how she felt and her struggles to, to kind of be taken seriously. Um, but on the other side was also about, you know, the part of the press with politicians and how that interaction Mm -hmm. is supposed to be. She was good friends with, with Lyndon Johnson and Lady Bird Johnson and the Kennedys and not so much the Nixons, although it was clear that, that she knew them. Um, but this idea, and, and Ben Bradley, too, Tom Hanks's character, who plays mm-hmm. the editor of the paper, that idea of, you know, what is your obligation um, to a friend? What is your obligation to a friend when they're in the public eye? How do you report on somebody when you're going to be at the same cocktail party as them? You know, right. um, the struggles of that. And I I thought that was handled pretty beautifully. Um, what did you think? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Um, I think... It's the ultimate challenge, right? You you run, as a journalist, you automatically run in those circles. And you are going to have personal relationships with people who you ultimately have to make a choice on whether or not you're going to report on them. And what are you, how, how are you going to balance that? And I, um, I particularly love Tom Hanks' um, monologue about that. He was talking about the Kennedys. And after the assassination, how the first thing Jackie said to him was, not one bit of this is going in your newspaper. And how crushed he was because he considered them his friends first. Right. And um, realizing that that could never be the case. That you have to put your journalistic integrity before, before that. Right. You know? And not so much that, it's just that as a newspaper man, you know, everyone will look at you that way as well. Right. Right. Yeah. That, yeah, that, that everybody, right. That there's always kind of some questions about your integrity. If you're friends with the people that you're reporting about, that there's always a little bit of, are you going soft on them? Um, yeah. And, and conflating integrity with secrecy. Right. Like, will you keep my secret because you're my friend? Right. Because that's the quote, right thing to do. Well, on a personal level, it may feel that way, but to a journalist, you know, what's right is <laughs> completely redefined, you know? Right. What's the Amer- what are the American people entitled to know? Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, I thought it was brilliantly done. Yeah, this, this whole movie was just, I don't know, there's such a momentum shift when they actually get to the papers and you know when they actually get to the like are we going to publish are we going to not publish that that you know it's 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 funny too because you know we live this is 50 years later so we know what happens you know if you know your history you know what happened and yet there's um still a sense of of unease over it and and basically what 
what these two people, in particular Kay Graham, but, you know, uh, certain, certainly other folks as well, Ben Bradley, um, you know, what they were willing to give up because the, it, basically yeah. what happened was the New York Times got the scoop on the Pentagon Papers before the Washington Post and it had started to publish these papers. And the Nixon White House um, basically basically put an injunction on them and, and said, you, you're not allowed to, you, you probably could speak to this more intelligently at being a lawyer, Meryl, but um, basically yeah. put an injunction and said, you know, you're not allowed to publish. And they, they kind of waited and did a little bit of publishing in the meantime, but that gave the Washington Post, who by that point also managed to get a hold of the papers, their window because they weren't specifically barred, but they knew that it was probably falling under the same jurisdiction and and for lack of a better term i know i'm not getting all the legalese right but um no, you're, i mean i mean you really i mean you really are on it i mean when when the when the white house filed their injunction against the the new york times um you know it prevented the new york times or any of its agents from publishing or disseminating the information until it could be heard in court and decided by by the court well Washington Post got access to much more, um, much more of the documentation. And then the question became, well, who, who is the Washington Post source? Because if the source is the same source as the New York Times, that, that person probably falls under the definition of New York Times agent, which were also prohibited from disseminating information. So, um, and, and at the time, the Washington Post for those of you who haven't seen the movie, the Washington Post was in the process of going public, and there was a clause in their contract that stated, you know, if some sort of catastrophic event happens, that, um, you know, the banks are entitled to withdraw the, 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 the stock offering. And, you know, what would constitute a catastrophic event? And that's what really raises the stakes of this movie. It's like, well, if we violate this injunction, we're going to be held in and the owner of our newspaper and our publisher are probably going to go to jail. Would this be considered a catastrophic event? Would the stock offering be removed? And so I thought they did a beautiful job of tying it all together. Yeah. You know, it's that classic um, idea of this is somebody who had everything to lose. She could have lost everything. That was the one thing I loved about Sarah Paulson's speech. That one thing is where she tells her husband, whatever, you don't have anything to lose. Right. You have nothing but notoriety to gain. Like, it would be nothing but good for your reputation. This woman, her entire life is on the line. Right. <laughs> and not just, like, her fortune and her company, you know, like, her, her source for, like, having a living and, like, just on another level having something to do that she loved, but also, like, personal relationships. She was also risking a lot yeah. of personal relationships. And yeah. she she had a lot of reasons where she could have, without losing the respect of everybody in the room, where she could have said, okay, clearly we shouldn't be publishing because, you know, there's just too many things against us. But the courage that it took, you know, in the in the face of, you know, advisors telling you, if you do this, you're going to lose it all, to say, no, it's more yep. important that we try to do this, that we try to tell this story accurately, that we try to get this right, Um takes extreme courage. That's something that one in a million people would do. I mean, I think most oh, of us yeah. would most of us would back down, you know. Um Oh yeah. 
So the courage. I think I would have. I think I would have too. Um, yeah. And so the courage that it takes to to stick to your guns. And actually, I think that's what, oh, you know, that's what it comes down to with Meryl's performance for me is um, she's so, it, it's different from from what I expected the character to be because yeah. it is so, yeah. uh, and it's so gentle and so um, not, you know, she it takes her a really long time and that's part of the purpose of the film to find her strength and, and to find the confidence to mm-hmm. say, I belong here. I deserve to be doing this. This is my company. Now I'm going to run it. Um, she spends the first hour of the movie asking all the men in the room, what their opinion is. And um, kind of, I, I don't want to say chickening out, but like in those moments where um, questions are asked of her in the few instances in which it's actually asked of her and not to the man next to her, um, you know, early in the film, she's shown as kind of unsure. And so she kind of chickens out a little bit um, and can't quite get the words out to say what she's feeling and thinking. Um, and so along the way, she, she gets her strength and she learns, you know, the courage. And, and it, it's really amazing to see. It's such a soft performance that like, that's why it's great that she got nominated for an Academy Award, but that's why she's not going to win this time because it's not, there's no like giant scene for her. You know, there's like no scene, scenery eating, you know, moment for her. No. What's so brilliant about her performance for me is that she captured that deep level of chronic um, anxiety and self-doubt that women have. Yep. Because, because, you know, she's constantly being told differently or that she can't do it. And, um, and it, it was so powerful. I mean, it was even, you know, you don't shoot a film in chronological order. We all know that. And she managed, you know, something, you know, something would happen in the next scene, you know, her hand is trembling. Right. At a party, because she's just come out of a very nerve-wracking phone conversation or whatever. She carried that through in such a palpable way. I can't. I can't really talk about it without crying. <laughs> I'm crying like I'm crying on our podcast. Um, I think. I think it was so powerful because she. Oh man, she found her courage. She found so much bravery. She's stunning. It's so inspiring. Because so many of us go through that and can't find it. Right. I mean, there are so many times in my adult life and in my career that I wish I had spoken up. um, And I wasn't listened to because I was new and young and a woman. And, I mean, I've uh, watched, you know, I watched co-counsel just take a trial and I and there I didn't feel like there was anything I could do. I went to my boss. I told them, you know, they just kind of shrugged their shoulders. And you know, when you feel so disempowered, it's just really when she walked down the steps of the Supreme Court and all those women were around her, I lost it. I know <laughs> that was really something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good stuff, guys. You need to go see it. It's a it's a great, <laughs> great, great movie. Um, I don't know, and so many. You know, she doesn't. She finds a way of of speaking in this character that, like, 
she has these just such great moments throughout the whole thing. She's so, so good in this movie. Um, I also have to say, um, there were so many tracking shots in this movie. Did you take note of that? How many tracking shots there were in this movie? Holy cow. It was nonstop. It was nonstop. I didn't notice it the first time either, but the second time I was like, they're moving from one room straight into another, like really long shots for a movie like this. You know, it was, it had that feel of, you know, um, uh, of almost being like a filmed play, which is funny because Spielberg doesn't rehearse his actors. So like just, it's, it's kind of amazing that they were able to get um, the kind of the logistics of, uh, of, of people not getting in the way, you know, with all these tracking shots, which apparently that was a real problem for, well, not a problem, but that was a big surprise to Meryl. She, she wasn't aware that Spielberg didn't, uh, which seems amazing that she didn't know that. Yeah. That she didn't know that he didn't rehearse. Um, and there's a rumor that, that Tom Hanks, of course, this was his fifth movie with Spielberg. So obviously he knew, and he knew that Meryl didn't know, but he purposely didn't tell her because he kind of wanted to see what would happen (laughs) if, <laughs> if like that first day, uh, yeah. you know, she found out. So that's hilarious. Yeah. Um, I also thought it was interesting. I don't know if you saw this too. Um, this is such a, <laughs> this is such a like. Oh well, of course, of course, that's true. But um, Spielberg was friends in real life with uh, Ben Bradley and Sally Quinn. They were actually neighbors for a while, so they oh, actually wow. knew each other really well. And Hanks actually knew uh, Ben Bradley as well. And apparently he also met Kay Graham the day before she died. So I don't know. There really? were Yeah, there were some personal connections throughout this whole thing. Um, also, oh. the movie is uh, dedicated to uh, Nora Ephron. Did you see that? I did. Was that at the end? Yeah. It was dedicated I'm to... Yeah, it was it was dedicated to Nora Ephron, which makes sense if you think about it, because she was married to Carl Bernstein, who is one of the guys who who basically did the whole Watergate story, you know. Um, So there's a definitely a connection here and a connection to both Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks as well. Nora Ephron worked with both of them as well. So, yeah. How lovely. Yeah. Well, wasn't Nora Ephron part of the lawsuit? uh, Was it in the late 60s? for women because she was a journalist at oh god what magazine she was a big part of getting women um you know more recognition as reporters used her as loose inspiration for good girls revolt that show on amazon yeah yeah i think so too um all right so where is this movie going to fit in with your performances and meryl streep movies gosh it's pretty high up there for me I don't know. I'm still really emotional about it. <laughs> I, as of right now, it's um, it's it's in my top five performances for sure. Okay. Um, right now, Julia and Julia is still ranked number one for me on performances, and Devil Wears Prada is two. Um, I just truly love Devil Wears Prada. Right now, it's sitting probably at number two for me. It was pretty powerful for me. Oh, wow. Okay, so it's going to... Uh, right after Julie and Julia? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that's probably just because I've just watched it. I probably need some time and perspective on it. But I just... Um, she really, really moved me. It, okay. was, it was so powerful. And like you said, so subtle. Yeah. And um, 
you know, not everything she does calls for that kind of subtlety. And she's just so brilliant at gauging that. Um, so it's sitting at number two, movie-wise. Let's think about that one. Okay. I don't know where it falls. I need some time and perspective on it, I think. Yeah. It needs to marinate. I need to see it again. I think that's fair. Um, for me, I think I'm going to put it, performance-wise, I think I'm going to put it number three for me. I have postcards from the edge number one, Julia and Julia number two, and I think I'm going to slot it there, uh, the post. That's pretty high for you, too. Yeah, yeah. Actually, movies, and again, this is for for folks who are just tuning in, this is of the movies that we've gone through yet, so movies like Sophie's Choice and Silkwood, um, other movies that we haven't right. gotten to yet, Um Oh, we haven't factored in, so this isn't taking into account every movie that she's made so far, just the ones that we've gotten through. Um, I have to be honest, right now, in terms of movies, I have it sitting number one of the movies that we've been through. And Really? Yeah, it might be just because it's so fresh and it was, you know, seeing it in the theater and it just happened. But, you know, right now my number one movie besides that is The Hours, and I just feel like... Yeah, that's mine as well. I feel like I'm liking this better than the hours. Wow. That's awesome. So That's amazing. Yeah, I would probably I I I would probably slot it number 1 or 2 right now. I just think it, it it is so fresh. Yeah. I mean, I say that but most of these movies I'm either watching for the first time or haven't seen in ages. So it's like watching them for the first time. Um there, there's something about watching it on screen for sure. Yeah, you know, in a movie theater, but it was powerful. It's so powerful, really good, and so you know, so timely, so important. Um, yes. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm acknowledging that I'm swept up in all of that, but I'm kind of unapologetically swept up in all of that. I, I have to say, I, I really appreciate Steven Spielberg has. Um, you know, with the exception of the color purple focused on male-driven stories for the duration of his career. And the female characters in his films, you know, I'm sure there are exceptions, but for the most part are pretty nondescript and often played by unknown actresses. And I appreciate him not just jumping into the deep end <laughs> and not um, not waiting in the in the in the kiddie pool, <laughs> right? He just went for it. He he dealt with a serious serious issue for women straight out the gate with the greatest actress right. of all time. Right, like well done, Steven Spielberg. I, I commend you. Like thank you so much. <laughs> well done, and also, but I also think too that he was smart. I you know. Calculated is not the right word because I don't think this was a calculated choice. Um, well, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, but I don't think it was. I, basically, I think this is a movie that's completely in his wheelhouse, too. There's a lot yes. of similarities between this and like more recent kind of politically movies that he's made, like Munich in particular, um, Bridge of Spies right. to a lesser extent, but Munich for sure. Uh, this. Um, this is a movie that he is very capable of making. And really the only thing is, yeah, feeling like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go for taking a female protagonist and a, it's about damn time and, and B you did it well. So do it again. You know what I mean? Like 
this isn't right? this isn't the time that you did it or don't let it be the time that you did it let this be the first time that you did it or second time yeah we shouldn't right. we shouldn't exclude color purple which is a great film and not just a great performance by Whoopi Goldberg but a lot of great performances um Oprah and lots of people in that film so um yeah continue down this path make more than one every 30 years <laughs> would right be, would be the would, I, I hope he does um, but let's, you know, I don't think it's, it's kind of fair to, to say all that, but let's also, again, like not knock him too much because he did it and he did it damn well. And, um, so did a lot of people on this, on this film. So, um, go yeah. see it for the love of God, go see it. The movie's doing well though. Yes. Yeah. It's doing really well. So. I don't think, I think Tom Hanks, Meryl Streep, Stephen, I mean, they're all huge draws. People, people go to see him. Well, yeah, I put on my Facebook. I'm, I'm guessing you saw it, but you know, I this is the first movie I think in my entire life that um, the day it came out, the very first show, I was there. Um, it was it, this That's movie awesome. was this was my Star Wars, um, and <laughs> what I mean by that is, well, I mean it's kind of obvious what I mean by that, but you know, this this was like a convergence of like this is worth going to see the first day and it's worth going to see again in the theater. You, there are some yeah. times when you make time to do that, if it's really important to you. And this was that important to me. So, um, it was, I think you and I both spent a year on this podcast talking about, I can't wait for this movie. I can't wait for this movie. Yeah. And it would have been, I wouldn't say easy, but it would have been possible for this movie to miss the mark and to disappoint and I, it did not for me at all. No. So no, um, that may be the best, you know, compliment we can give the film is that we we were just yeah. waiting and waiting and waiting. And uh, I'd like to see it a third time. So, you know, uh, I, yeah. I might. So go see it, everybody. Um, yeah. All right. Shall we move on to our last things sure. otherwise we'll never get out of here today <laughs> um i know right it's an extra long episode for you all this time yeah um okay so we last time we did six degrees we did ryan gosling that was your suggestion so what did you come up with for ryan gosling how do we connect ryan gosling to meryl streep i didn't so i'm gonna do it on the fly okay let's see uh, well, <laughs> all i can think of is in the film oh Ryan Gosling was in Crazy Stupid Love with Julianne Moore, who's in The Hours Very good. That's one. I, I came up with one, two, three, four, five. That was one of the ones. And actually, also in that movie is Steve Carell, who is in uh, Hope Springs with Meryl. So there are two connections in that ah. one. Um, Gosling was also in The Big Short with Steve Carell, so same connection there. Um, he. Ah. He's in a movie called The Ides of March, which I wish more people had seen. It's a George Clooney-directed movie. Um, It's good. It's very good. Uh, George Clooney is kind of himself a connection because they both did voices for Fantastic Mr. Fox. But the stronger connection in that movie is Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, who did Doubt with Meryl. Um, The one I thought of pretty much right away when you said Ryan Gosling was a movie called Drive that he did. Um, But Oh, yeah. Terry Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan and also Albert Brooks because Carrie Mulligan um, for Suffragette and Albert Brooks for Defending Your Life. And the last one that I thought of, I'm sure there are more, but the last one that I thought of was Remember the Titans uh, with the Denzel and Manchurian Candidate. Um, 
So, people send in... Is he in Remember the Titans? He is in Remember the Titans. He was young, but he's in it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to rewatch that. Yeah. So, people send in your answers to this. Where That's one thing people are not participating in. We love hearing from people, and I love getting emails from people, but nobody's playing the game with us. Yeah. Um, so, if you want to play the game with us... Send us an email at MeryllStreetPodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's MeryllStreetPodcast at gmail.com. We've decided that next week what we're going to do is Giovanni Rabisi. So uh, see if you can connect him. Um, and last thing is the movies Meryl was almost in. And there's a chance we already did this one, but there's a Steven Spielberg connection to it. So you know what? We're running out of these anyway. Okay. So if we already did it, we already did it, and we're just prolonging it anyway. So what's the difference? Um, did we already, <laughs> did we already do Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Maybe, maybe not. We may have. <laughs> I, I don't remember. remember. But anyway, email us and tell us if we've talked about Close Encounters. <laughs> but she apparently auditioned for that movie. Uh, Terry Gar got that movie. That was before, you know, that was like 1977. So she yeah. probably hadn't been in any and in anything at that point. Um, so that's that. So our next episode, as soon as we can get to it, is going to be on. Go ahead, Meryl. Who's our tribute? Lord. Our Lord Dern tribute. I'm very excited. Me too. And also... I think I'm mostly excited because I have not seen... Um, I really have not seen a good deal of her work, and I love her. Yeah. So I'm very excited. I will say that um, we had this idea. We've actually... We had the idea to do this Laura Dern. We kind of planned these, you know, a month or two in advance. And so we've been talking about this Laura Dern tribute, I feel like, for about three or four months now. That it's been kind of like, she's the next one we're going to do. And then, I'm not saying that there's any connection to this, but Laura Dern is, like, really having a moment right now. And um, literally two days ago, I saw a Facebook friend of mine post something that said, 2018 is the year of Laura Dern. And I thought, well... We should have done this Laura Dern episode a couple months ago, so we would have been like on the cutting edge of it. Now we're just kind of like following along. Right. But I promise you, we've been waiting to do this for a while. But um, she's really, she's really having a great moment right now. So it'll be great to talk about her work. I've seen quite a few of quite a few of her movies, but there are a few that I'm excited to um, to revisit for sure. I'm looking. I'm going to review Wild at Heart, which was a movie she did with Nicolas Cage, and she's done a lot of David Lynch movies. Um, one one that I'm going to strongly suggest to anybody is a movie called We Don't Live Here Anymore. Um, if you're looking for a great Laura Dern performance, that's kind of an under-the-radar one. She and Naomi Watts and Peter Krause. Um, so that's a really great one. Yeah. So next time we'll talk about Laura Dern, and then we're going back to the 1970s. So um, uh, as always, you can find us on social media. Our Instagram is Meryl Street Podcast. You can email us. Uh, Meryl Street Podcast at gmail.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. We love it when people do that. Anything else, Meryl? No, just, um, you know, have an excellent weekend, which is coming up, and keep listening. Yeah, thank you all so much. We love having you. We love our listeners. So thank you very much, and we'll see you again soon. Bye. Bye, guys. That's all.